who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. Each Monday, I bring you a brand new full-length episode covering something from a wide variety of topics. And then every Friday, come meet up with me again for a mini What's in the News episode so you can stay up to date on everything that's going on in the world. Check out Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And rage on. Wow, what a week, what a week, oh, what a week. It is November 10th while I am recording this intro outro. Uh, we are past election day, election week, whatever you want to call that. Uh, how are you doing? That was, what a ride, what a ride. Um, I've never clenched my jaw so much. Uh, that's not usually how my stress presents to me physically, but uh, it finally feels better. Biden is the projected winner. Uh, which means what? That means absolutely nothing uh, because Biden-Harris are the same product of Trump but a different packaging and that means that we have a lot of work to still do. Don't go to brunch just yet, babes. Um, and I also do hate that I am a white person that just said we have a lot of work to do, but we do uh, because uh, that changes nothing, you know? Like people uh, will still be in cages. Uh, bombs will still be dropped. Um, we have, uh, there's a lot of shit to be done. Anywho, this episode was recorded before the election, uh, which I think is kind of hilarious, uh, just because you can just hear our nerves and our, our how tense we are with about it. We talk about it a little bit. Um, and I'm not going to do too much of an intro of this episode because it's just two friends chatting. I met, well, first, let me say who we have. I have Neil Barden, um, who I met I think back in 2015, he interviewed me for Awkward Sex when we went up to Philly. And I like remember where I was when we did the phone interview. I was actually in my roommate's apartment, like not apartment, my roommate's bedroom. Um, I think because he has, or he had um, AC. Uh, Cause I was like sitting on his carpet. Like I wasn't even sitting on his bed and he wasn't home. I just, I don't know why like I chose like that spot. 
in my apartment. Um, but I remember it. I remember being like, this is a cool guy and we've been friends since. He's actually even performed on Awkward Sex in the City. Um, and he is the leading expert on breakfast sandwiches in Philadelphia. Uh, if you follow his Instagram, you will see they are gorgeous. Um, and he's also the director of applied storytelling at First Person Arts, where he is also the producer of Hashtag Us, Unique and Shared Experiences podcast, which is through First Person Arts. And it's a very good storytelling podcast. If you like Awkward Sex in the City and you like stories, I think you're going to really like that one too. Um, so I'm just going to let you go right into the episode. Uh, relax, breathe. Oh, real quick, real quick, real quick. Um, if you were out on Saturday, uh, especially in New York City, please lay low if you have the privilege. Cases are rising. Uh, I I was in the streets. I can't describe what it's like to see the crowd and then hear the roar like a couple of seconds later from the crowd because you're like half a mile away. Um, it was very, it was very cathartic, I guess. Um, and everyone got shit face drunk. Uh, myself included. I had just gotten tested on Friday, came back negative, but I will be getting another test in a couple days. Someone told me that like you're supposed to wait uh, since your possible exposure, so like the viral load can be present. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I'm never going to pretend like I am, but I'm planning on going Thursday or Friday to get a, a test uh, and trying to lay low as much as possible. Uh, but since I'm fun employee, that's pretty easy to do. Anywho, um, I think you like the episode. I think it's going to be very relaxing. Um, um, enjoy, guys. Enjoy. It's been fun to watch the fall of capitalism. Like, I don't think we'll get to see the end of the fall, but we're definitely, like, in the beginning of it, and that's weird but also like finally like thank god yeah it's been a wild half century i guess of just like rampant <laughs> uh rampant capitalism doing bizarre things to the society the environment uh you name it oh yeah it's space been... let's not forget about space i can't remember who it was but uh now that there's like possible life on mars one country was like mars is ours and i was like you can't what <laughs> what this is like the stupidest thing i've ever heard in my life you can't you can't dibs a planet. Like, you can't dibs a literal planet. It's not, like, a front car seat. Like, I don't I don't know. Isn't that also a bit, like, uh, leasing an apartment, like, sight unseen? Like, mm. what, what if the water pressure on Mars is terrible that you'll find out too late? There's, like, a cockroach infestation. <laughs> infest oh, my God. I can't. Infest infestation? Infestation. <laughs> I had like a migraine this morning that I was like, oh. well, for like the past two days and I've been like, been like, oh, it's not a migraine. I think I pulled a muscle and I finally took my emergency meds and they make you feel weird. They make you feel like a little jittery. So I'm not going to speak great today, probably in this recording, but it's fine. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> did you get married during the quarantine or did you get married right before? Right before. Wow. Yeah. You lucky bastard. We say that about once a day to ourselves. Um, it was February 14th, and we oh, wow. we did not know where the world was going this year. Uh, like, mm. even, completely clueless about what March might bring. Yeah, we we had about three weeks heads up that it was going to happen. Uh, I say this as if, it, you know, so external forces were forcing us. Um, but it was like my wife was taking a new job. I was able to get on health insurance kind of immediately with hers. If if we were married and we thought, well, great, let's 
do some paperwork and have some people around. And it expanded pretty rapidly from having a couple family members to about 40 people and a really lovely day. (laughs) And now we're like, we can't get all those people in a room together. For a very long time. For who knows when. Right? Yeah. Oh my God. That's so lucky. Me and Aaron say the same thing. We uh we were May 2021. Uh, oh. but we had we had not signed any contracts. We had not put down any deposits. We were gonna look, we were pretty sure it was the venue we were gonna use. We were like, <laughs> yeah, let's just get a drink there real quick to double check. And we were gonna do that in March. And then March happened. And so I watched like all my friends around me have to cancel. They're not getting their deposits back. They don't know if they can get all the the caterers and the venues and the stuff to like be back on the same day. And I was just like, we're so lucky. Like we had nothing. We had no stakes in it yet. We just had a date. Uh, and I am forever grateful for that. Like, and I'm so glad you guys were able to have like the wedding that you want wanted, <laughs> yes. you know? Yeah. yeah, it didn't it. It didn't feel like an emergency in the way that the rest of the year has felt on things. It felt like, cool, we have a very short time frame and we're going to do the best that we can. And whatever we have, we're going to be really happy with. Uh, And it worked out really, really beautifully. And we're like, I think that was actually the wedding that we always wanted. We just didn't need 18 months of prep to find out. Yeah, like nice little quick condensed. Because everyone's also like, you don't understand how much planning goes into it. And I get douchey and I'm like... I'm a producer. I can do this. Um, and then it's like, oh, there actually is like a shit ton of stuff you have to do. But it doesn't have to be that crazy, like that intense. No, we're all now just acclimated to all the things that you can make decisions about for it. Mm-hmm. And reducing the scope in any way, whether it's time or size or just uh, activities, um, just cuts out a lot of those decisions, um, it, it turns out. So, yeah, like we had... a. Uh, dear friend uh, who professionally has been a wedding photographer for years offered to shoot our wedding and gave us like a little form at the start of all this. And it asked us questions like, what is our wedding like color scheme? What flowers mm-hmm. are we going to have? And we're like, I, paperwork color, like whatever shoes I'm wearing that day. What questions, what are all these questions for? And it's because other people do nail this down months and months and months in advance and we're like we have we're down to 12 days truly the the real party was planned in a 12 day span oh i fucking love it yeah you're so right though and like oh my god like wedding dresses like that's been a a fucking not nightmare but i just can't believe how expensive the wedding industry has become Mm -hmm. like i saw like one cocktail dress that i was like oh this is gorgeous i love it it turned out to be couture twenty five thousand dollars and i was like that's not even the budget for our wedding right it's like that's not a real price for a piece of clothing yeah and then i was like telling my mom about it and she was like look i found this really cute dress it's from walmart but it's 24 dollars." and then i looked at it and i was like this is like a very pretty dress like i'm who i can't i can't like with a good conscious ever spend that much money on a piece of clothing let alone a fucking day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how did you and kelsey meet um through storytelling ah, oh my god i love this okay okay we need to back up a little bit because yeah, yeah i remember like five years ago when you like interviewed me for i think a now defunct is that the right word yes uh, uh- geekadelphia is the name geekadelphia it was a cool site um yeah. and you were telling me how kevin allison of the state kind of got you into storytelling because before that you were more science-based tech-based yes um so 
I, I look at things as like pre-2013 and post-2013. Um, and pre-2013, I was professionally a, a scientist. I was doing experimental linguistics. And during kind of the, the later years of that, I was listening to a lot of podcasts and thinking a lot about how this fairly new art form uh, of, of podcasting, but in a way storytelling, was doing a lot for me that professional activities my, in my day-to-day weren't doing for me. Mm-hmm. And I just kept thinking, gosh, these people are putting together these audio programs that are resonating with me. I'm learning a lot. I'm you know, finding connections to strangers. What's going on here? And it was, risk was a big factor in this. Um, the Story Collider, which is science stories. I don't know if you've done stuff yes. at all. Um, and um, The Moth, of course. And I was just listening to these kind of on on repeat cycles and thinking there's something very cool going on here. Um, and so when I moved to Philly and was transitioning from actively working in science to being more interested in communicating science, storytelling was one of the the vehicles for that. It's wild how much like storytelling has like changed your life. Yes. When you put it that way, it is bonkers. <laughs> uh, because it, it gave me a new career. It helped me find my wife. It helped me find all sorts of friends and activities and all these other connections um, that I have. And it, when you think about it on this like deep spiritual level, it makes sense because it's, oh, just people connecting with each other and just being being themselves. Yeah. Uh, so so how did how did you specifically meet in storytelling? Was it like a moth uh, setting? Was it like just very random? She was telling stories at first person arts story slams. Um, and at the time, I was occasionally working for them as a volunteer or a stage manager, like front of house stuff. And I just kind of kept running into her and seeing her and seeing videos of her that um, First Person Arts puts up on their YouTube page. Um, and I just thought, this lady's very funny, very cute. Uh, I would like to get to know her, and I have no idea how to do that other than listening to her stories that she's performing. <laughs> Um, and over time, we got to be a little friendlier and started talking more and things snowballed from there. Who asked who out first? Like, how did it, was it like an actual, like, will you go out with me? Or was it like more, uh, well, you're shaking your head. So yes. Yes. Sorry. I'm, I'm on a podcast and I, I don't need to nod on a podcast. Um, I asked her to grab a drink sometime and we had one of those kind of like, will we, won't we? planning and it's not quite working out maybe it was about a week or so of that but we'd already had just enough one-on-one interactions that we could tell the chemistry was there and we just weren't sure where where it would take us um and so i asked her to get a drink the tuesday or wednesday after labor day and we got a drink we had a a really great time and she didn't know that it was a date um (laughs) until as she describes it, partway through, she texted her best friend and she was like, I, it, it's fun. It's great. It's going well. I, I, don't, I still don't know if it's a date. And his response was, how old is this guy? Yeah, no, Kelsey, uh, a, a guy of, of that age doesn't just ask a, a woman he doesn't really know well out for a drink just as friends. Like this, you are you are now on. A you date. are on a date. Yeah, <laughs> but that's so that's a really good point though. Is like sometimes it can be so vague. Like there's definitely times that I was like out on dates and didn't fully 
no one ever said it. Like, no one mm-hmm. wanted to commit to the idea of, like, this is a date. And it gets really confusing. And then – because then it's like you're in it. And then do you ask? And then you start overanalyzing everything. It's like, oh, they touched my shoulder. What does that mean? Oh, we didn't kiss at the end of this. What does that mean? Like, shit like that. Yeah. I mean, granted, I haven't dated in a long time. But I remember being like, this is this is a lot. No, it, it is confusing. And for a long time, my pattern was to – be in a situation where in my head it was a date, but I hadn't said the key word out loud. Before, <laughs> yeah. Right. And then then the other person was always in a was presumably in a situation where they didn't know what was going on or more likely assumed that it wasn't a date because I hadn't said the word. And finally, maybe two years before I started uh, dating Kelsey, a couple friends sat me down and they were like, you need to use the word date. <laughs> the problem here is you are not asking people specifically dates. And I was like, oh. How about that? Words have meaning. They had a fucking intervention for you, mm-hmm. Neil. We are here today because we love you. <laughs> you do big, not know how to... <laughs> a big banner in the background saying, we love you, Neil. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um. So do you remember any of these, like, you thought it was a date, but the person didn't know it was a date dates? Do you remember any of those? Oh, gosh. Yes, but which which ones to share? Um, <laughs> there were a, a bunch where I would just end up, you know, having a drink with somebody and realizing in the middle, I came into this thinking it was a date. I really don't know what they're thinking. And now we're too far in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like one particular person where I guess I was new to town. Um, the woman in question was like a college friend of a friend of mine and said, you two should meet. So we, you know, met up for drinks a couple times, but what does it mean? Um, and I just thought, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to say I. This is a date and I don't think we need to date like that. There was a fuzzy distinction between realizing where I was and where I wanted to be. And do you need to say we shouldn't keep dating if you don't already explicitly agree that you're dating? Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean, like, no, yeah. totally. It It comes down to like. I feel like we're not taught how to communicate. Like that needs to be like a class, like in like elementary school. Like, well, like every year there's like, this is how you communicate this and this and this. Cause you're not taught that. And then you're like learning as you go. So there's like new, not everyone's on the same page of what like things could mean. It reminds me of like the term hookup in high school. Yes. It meant like three different things to people. And you're like, wait, which hookup are you talking about? Like, so it's, we need like a vernacular or like a like a language that means like this is what this is how you say date this is what this means etc. Exactly. Gra- granted, I don't know about you, but like I don't miss dating at all. And like once I was like in a significant relationship, I was like I lo- forgot everything. I feel like no, I ha- I had a similar conversation about this uh, a couple weeks ago with a-, a friend who's been married for I guess like six years now, where you know just all of a sudden I was like, man, you don't miss dating, right? And he's like, I do. But I don't. And it, it turns out what he misses is the dates that go well. And he doesn't miss all the administration mm. and navigation. And I was like, clearly, that's what we mean. <laughs> like, nobody, <laughs> nobody misses the administration, buddy. Um, now, nah, I, I was on OkCupid for years. And I just found it so not just soul sucking, but energy, energy draining in, in different ways. You know, it's, it, it's like applying to jobs on Indeed or Monster or something. Uh, where you're like, I'm just going to keep throwing my name out there and see if anybody's interested. Yeah. Okay, Cupid was weird. One time my friend uh, who who was gay was like, okay, Cupid is like the grinder for straight people. 
And then I started to see that because I was like, oh, I feel like no one is actually like reaching out to me. And this was right before Tinder. I felt like <clears throat> before Tinder got big, I felt like it was only for people reaching out to me only for hookups. And I was like, is that like what my profile is like giving off? Like, because this is for more like dates. And then I would get like really aggressive guys that would see, I would see that they messaged me. I'd go look at their profile and I wouldn't have time to like respond because of work or something and then they would get really pissed off and then message me back being like oh i saw that you saw and you didn't say anything and it was like well i was but now i'm not because you're being a fucking asshole about the fact that i didn't have time to message you like within 10 minutes of looking at your profile so it was just like as you say like very soul-sucking and it made me really not want to do any online online dating which i never did i never did like online meet in person date mm-hmm. ever uh, and now, like, talking about it more and more with different DS, I'm like, oh, I'm starting to see why I didn't, because it fucking sucked. Yeah. And if you're, like I was, in a situation where online dating is a large piece of, you know, energy and time of your life, or has the potential to be, while also navigating other things that are kind of in flux, um, mm, like, mm-hmm. for me, it was my career, basically, for four or five years, um, it's really hard to balance that and say, here's how I'm going to dedicate all this time and energy uh, and money, if you're a certain type of dater, to all these different activities. Um, and so more and more, I was like, I don't think this is the thing for me at all. I had, I think I had one OkCupid date and one Tinder date in the span of like eight, nine years of all that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I feel like that's fair. I feel like that's very, very fair. Yeah. This reminds me, though, I've realized, and this is very cocky, I've never had a bad first date in the sense that it went bad. I always had a bad first date in that I was like very charming and the guys got very attached. And then I was like, oh no, like I didn't feel anything at all. <laughs> oh no. Um, Cause I'm just really good at keeping like a conversation going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I talked about this with a past guest, Sam Reese. She said, what did she say? She was like, have you ever been in a situation where the other person thinks there's chemistry, but it's only because you're really good at talking? Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's that's so, definitely a thing. I think maybe it's been less so for me, but I've I've experienced that with other other interactions where I realize like, oh, it's not it's not chemistry. This person is just charming by nature or by training um, mm-hmm. and <laughs> by training. But tra- well, <laughs> like I have done a lot of improv comedy over the years and like within the improv and comedy world, like, you meet people who have learned these like strategies and new communication techniques that you can apply in everyday conversations and so it's like oh is this is this romantic chemistry or are we just good at doing bits together in the green room Mm, yeah yeah because storytelling is also like very like like the storytelling community in new york at least is very similar to the comedy community where it's just like you do have now that you say that you do just have people that just are good at that and then it's also i don't know about philly but like it becomes very incestuous in new york city of like uh everyone's kind of been like dating the same people or kind of going through not going through the same people it's not the right word but there's a lot of like turnover uh there's a lot of talk and i don't know if that happens in philly as well yeah there's there's some of that of people have history with each other for for better and for worse and sometimes people know about it and other times it it comes out like a couple years later where you're like oh you dated Casey three years ago, right? As right as I was getting act. Well, that explains very little, but it's good to know, I guess. Yeah. 
yeah, it's a lot of information that you're just like, maybe this will come in handy later. Oh, right, right. I don't need to do anything with this now, but I guess I tuck it away for future parties that are awkward. I don't know. Did you date in the storytelling community before Kelsey? Or was like Kelsey kind of the first person that you kind of cro- not cro- crossing the line is not the right word, but like ventured into the idea of like dating within the community? Um, She was the first. I'm like 99% sure I'm having a hard time thinking of somebody else. <laughs> yeah. I dated somebody in, in the improv world uh, for a brief period years ago now. Um, and that was it. That was it. Okay. Okay. Um, how long have you lived in Philly now? Just over seven years. Yeah, I got here uh, like September 1st, 2013. Wow. Well, congrats. You just passed your anniversary. Yeah. Philly is a great city. I love it. I feel like Philly kind of gets shat on a little bit. And it's like a very pretty city. Has a really cool like vibe and energy to it. Like a cool, I don't know if downtown's the right word, but just like it's a very cool city. Yeah, it, I think it started to get cool again about 10 years ago. (laughs) <laughs> before I got here, let's be clear. Um, and yeah, there's that that long-standing, you know, 40 plus year, I guess, reputation now of, oh, it's dirty, oh, it's violent, like whatever. Um, but there's been, you know, a renaissance in a lot of industries and ways that the city has taken taken initiative to improve life for residents and visitors and tour, you know, everybody. Um, and so when I was moving to Philly, I I was in the Netherlands right before I got here and I had kind of my choice of where to move. And my friends that were in Philly were saying, look, you haven't spent a whole lot of time here, but you do know that we have good food. There's art of all sorts. Um, there's now uh, the higher ed, there's pharmaceutical companies, there's small businesses, like you name it, Philly has it. And I knew just enough people here in just enough different little realms that I was like, I could give this a try. Yeah, I've been there two days a year for the past six years. I'll, I'll take a swing at at this Philadelphia place, um, and that's how I that's how I ended up here. Nice. Uh, random uh, tidbit for the listeners: If you've never seen the Liberty Bell, it is much smaller uh, than you would assume. Like I saw it for the first time like last year, and I was like, "This bitch is small." Like I was expecting like a big guy. Yes, and you can see it from the street instead of waiting in line if you'd like to save oh, yeah. time that way. So it, it there was a, a path that I would regularly take basically from like my bank to a lunch spot and I would pass the the backside of the Liberty Bell and always be like, huh, yeah, this is better than standing in line. <laughs> I don't need to do this. The wow. last, not, the, not this year, because we went to Philly in 2020. Um, the year before that, we went for a Valentine's Day show and we were all staying in a hotel and I went to go to the bath. I was sleeping with Carolina in the in the bed. And when I went to the bathroom, came back, she'd like taken over the full bed. And it was like six o'clock in the morning, but it was like light out. And I was like, you know what? We were right across the street from that really cool like indoor market with like all this like food and stuff. Reading time. Uh, yeah, we were right across the street from that. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go there and get breakfast. Like I'm up. I, I have to catch a bus in like four hours. And it was closed. I think it opened at like seven. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to walk to the goddamn Liberty Bell. And like, yeah, no one was there. You don't have to go on a line. And you just look at it from the street. And you're just like, yeah, that's the bell. That's, that's all it. I needed to see. <laughs> that's that's the thing on stamps and coins and many other things. Yep. Like, cool, cool, cool. See the crack. Done. Um, that also reminds me, though, 
you did awkward sex a couple of years ago, and I don't remember what story you did. Yeah, I. What year was that? That was, was we were 17? still. You're at Lake I think so. Yeah, which very cool venue. Uh, just kind of out of the way. It's hard people for hard people to get to. Yeah, really, really lovely spot and vibe that I, I use as a, a comparison for a lot of things. Um, I told a story about a time that I was in the Netherlands and traveling for a couple of days, sort of with somebody I didn't know at all, and I couldn't tell if there was chemistry or not, and mm-hmm. so I just avoided the whole thing altogether. <laughs> and in retrospect, uh, this woman was making advances on me. I think it's probably the best way to put it, but I had, it was just totally clueless. I was, it was not totally clueless, but I was being a bit willful in my decision to be like, I don't, I, I'm not going to pursue this right now. This is not the time and place for this. What was she doing? What were the advances that you were like, not sure, but were sure? We, like we were at a concert and we were like kind of dancing together. She had come out in like small pajamas, like very cute pajamas oh, um, at yep. the Airbnb. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, interesting. And then her phrase was something like, let's make some moves. And I thought we were talking, I, I decided to interpret that as let's plan our day tomorrow. Um, <laughs> no, no, she no. was she was definitely yeah. coming on to you. Yeah. And I have no idea like how she remembers any of this. <laughs> oh my God. And oh, that's what I was going to ask if you guys are still in touch. Okay. No person in common who, who knew both of us uh, is somebody that I'm, I'm a bit in touch with and not in a way where I would be like, so did you ever hear anything about that? Um, oh, my God. Yeah, being deliberately vague on several points here. No, that's totally fine. Did you date a lot when you were in the Netherlands? Not really. I had kind of three, four paramours, four, three. Uh, <laughs> I had, well, I had one little, are we, are we having dates or aren't we situation of, we went out to drinks a couple times and I thought, this is nice. This is fun. And they were like, oh, no, I'm seeing somebody. <laughs> oh. Um, my timing may have been off. There were a lot of factors going on there. Um, there's somebody I saw for a couple months. Another somebody I saw for a couple months. And then a friend who is traveling a bit. We met up a couple times, had some really nice dates and never, never had anything formal, but that was that was about it. That was like an American friend from back home. Um, I guess that was it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I was wondering if like what the dating culture or the dating scene was like in uh, in the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, interesting. This reminds me of two two things I was going to touch on earlier. One was I actually did meet somebody off of OkCupid there. It was. Oh. A, uh, this is a story I don't tell a whole lot. I was maybe six weeks away from moving back to the States and just trolling OkCupid because why not see who's who's around? And I ran into the profile of an American who is new to my town, who is very cute, seemed really enjoyable. And I sent a message that was just like, hey, I'm about to leave the country, but you seem very nice. And specifically, do you want me to drop a bunch of knowledge on you about um, being an American living in, in this town? And she said, I would love to do that and hang out. And we had a really enjoyable, because we got drinks twice. Um, And the first was like a lovely first date type thing, except for the fact that we knew, like, this wasn't going to, this was very unlikely to go anywhere unless the chemistry was incredible, which it it wasn't quite that good. But she's somebody where I think if I wasn't leaving, I would have, I would have messaged her, but probably played it totally differently. Ah, interesting. Um, We're still in touch occasionally through Instagram. She just got married in the past year as well. 
Oh. Oh, I was, was going to mention this when you're talking about people using OkCupid a bit like Grinder in terms of like aggressive timing and, and hookups and connections. And it was, there were a couple of weeks where I was traveling outside of the Netherlands, but still in, in Europe, and I was traveling solo. And I had the question of, do you change your profile setting to read of where you actually are and add in the information of like, hey, I'm here for a couple of days, would love to get, you know, drinks or something with a local. Mm-hmm. And it's at the time, at least, OkCupid really wasn't set up for that software-wise or culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, but now something like Tinder is great for that, where you're like, I'm in the area and I, I, you can say like, I, I'm just here for um, a short time. And so I I played around with that, never quite got any um, traction. But I had friends who were like, you can't use OkCupid like that. People are using it to make real connections. May or may not have been true, but it was a really interesting way to view dating cultures around Europe. I was in Germany mostly and see who who defaults to English for a profile for one thing. Like that's that's a really straightforward one. Oh, I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. Um, and then also just, yeah, kind of like norms of how much you fill out and, and what kind of pictures you use and so on. And yeah, I don't remember a ton of details about all that, but it was, you know, for, for 15 minutes a day of just people watching, basically, it was delightful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also like, People were using OkCupid for that. Like, you can't tell someone how to use. Right. It's like telling someone how to spend their money. It's like, no, they're either like, this is what they're going to do. And then you're just hoping that they're being straightforward and you're being straightforward, which is what that's what sucked about OkCupid is no one was being straightforward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you still have your profiles? Like, I still have my profiles. And so does Aaron. And I was like, yeah, what if we break up? Those things take forever to put together. Yeah. Like, it's fine. I think I deactivated but not deleted my OkCupid four and a half, five years ago. Oh, okay, um, that's smart. After after Kelsey and I got together. But I don't think I fully deleted it because I, like you, I was like, yeah, that's, that's a lot of data on it me. It takes a long time. But on the flip side, it's like, gosh, I'm a totally different person than when I filled out all those questions. Maybe I do want a, a fresh start. That is true. It kind of makes me want to look and see what I said because I think I made mine – in like 2011 like it's been a long ass time i i created my okcupid profile during the bush administration oh my god oh my god that's crazy i didn't realize okcupid had been around that long definitely around by early 2008 because i met somebody off of it then and um yeah no clue about how how much before that it was there. But isn't that weird in terms of like just cultural history? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Did you ever do Plenty of Fish? No. OkCupid okay, was the only like kind of standard web-based um, profile that I ever really had. Okay. Plenty of Fish was wild. It was very aggressive. And that might just be because I am a woman. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. as aggressive for men. But I when was that? That was back in 2009 because I was like interning in the city and didn't know I just didn't know anyone. So I was like, yeah. my friends were like, a good way to meet people would be to like go on dates. Um, and I was like, sure. And then it's never it never worked out. And I was just too lazy and too cheap to pay for match.com because it was like <laughs> like 30 a month. And I was like, I'm not spending money for, on this. Like, no. So then okay, keep it was free. So it's like that was the next one. It's wild because you don't really hear 
often like you met Kelsey in person. I met Aaron in person. And I you don't hear that anymore, which is totally cool. And people are still embarrassed of like meeting their husbands or wives or partners on an online dating service. And it's like, no, but like that's where we've gone. Like that's just what we do now. We do everything online. That Definitely. makes total sense. Yeah. I'm I'm somebody who's read the New York Times wedding announcements pretty faithfully for a very long time. And it's it's this particular guilty pleasure of mine. And I love that. And there was a point where I realized, oh, not just people are meeting through online dating and talking about it, but it was specifically when people were had met through Hinge, where I was like, oh, you've met fairly recently and talk about Hinge now as a as a intro point to your relationship that presumably has been lasting for more than more than a few weeks and months. Um, because to me, Hinge is still very fresh in terms of the world of software and internet culture. But clearly, it's been around long enough that people are getting New York Times wedding announcements out of having met on Hinge. Oh, yeah. I kind of forgot about Hinge because, yeah, it was past it was, yeah, past my time, I guess. That and Bumble, I vaguely understand the differences. Mm -hmm. uh, people seem to have the most luck on Hinge, on, uh, on Hinge now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I barely remember what it how like how it's set up it's like tinder but add the factor of your they're your friends of friends i guess i think so i'll have to fact check that because i'm not now i'm not sure bumble is bumble is that the the woman reaches out first mm -hmm. like that's their thing hinge now i'm yeah is it just like friends of friends is that like their thing that's that's my memory, or at least that's my memory of how they started, and who knows what they're like now. I feel like a boomer. Like, I don't understand this technology. Oh, man, it's coming too soon. I know. <sighs> I know. During Women's History Month, come explore what feminism means to you with nonfiction storytelling podcast, Thread the Needle. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to pivot us a little bit, but sure. how, has, how has COVID affected like your and Kelsey's relationship? Um, or how has COVID affected your life in life, general? We life can, life in general. We can, we can start there and that'll, that'll lead in nicely. In winter 2019 to 20, I'd been thinking to myself, I would like to spend a little more time intentionally in my home office. Mm -hmm. When I moved into this house, which I guess was summer 2018, we bought a desk shelf, got a printer, all these things because I thought, well, I'm going to be spending probably at least a day here a week. I would like a formal office setup. Yeah, yeah. And so 10 months ago, I wished for having more time in my home office. It, it's the monkey's paw. Like, yeah. Be careful boy, what did you I wish get, for. Boy, did I get that wish. Um, so what's nice is I have this office set up in the basement and always have. And around the same time that I received, you're just working from home. Um, notification from my boss at kind of the the main organization where I have to work in person um Kelsey got notification from her boss and it was a little unclear how long to expect it for mm -hmm. so she's set up at the dining room table in our on our first floor and then mm -hmm. we also live with her sister who is a video editor and has had her home office set up on the second floor for 
as long as they've been in this house. So we each actually have our own different floor as an office. That's kind of awesome. It's pretty ideal in terms of not having to share even, even not just like table space, but if each of us is on a different video call, there's almost no like audio bleed. There's the occasional bandwidth concern. Um, but by and large, I can I can spend hours and hours down here on my on my lonesome and we don't feel like we're like running into each other. Um, elbows yeah. on top of each other. Yeah. So we get to split our time a little intentionally that way. And it's it's nice that we're not both working from the couch, which I know is the deal for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. If, if that's all you have in terms of common space or or common space, that's not the bedroom, I guess. Um then things are going to be pretty tight quarters. Um, but yeah, I've, I'm just kind of in my, in my groove here uh, and she's in hers and we like never ate at the dining table anyways. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So and we even, this is, this is the lap of luxury. We basically have a spare desk set up um, in our middle bedroom. Um, there's a desk. It's more table than desk, but we always say like, if any of us needs somehow another desk to work at for the for the day it's right there yeah yeah if you want like a change in scenery for a hot second here you go yep so you you live with kelsey's sister too you said yeah um yeah she bought the place a couple years ago and they've been living together for years as adults um and then when kelsey and i were talking about moving in together she was like well why don't you just move in here at first and see how that so we'll see how that goes rather than add in Oh, let's find a place. Oh, let's move. Oh, let's also start cohabitating all at once. Um, and that was just about yeah, a year and a half, two years ago. And we're we're definitely not moving the next couple months. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I feel you. Um, that's a really yeah, that's a really interesting point because when you said bandwidth, you like in my apartment, I feel like you can tell when everyone is working from home. It's like mm-hmm. all of a sudden that the internet gets slower and you're like, wait, what? Don't we all have our own separate like things? Because I don't understand the internet. I don't understand the internet. I don't understand wind. And I don't understand how planes stay up. Three things I will say. I oh. don't understand it. It's been it's been explained to me a million times. Yeah, I still bother. don't get it. Yeah. yeah. It's like a pressure. I'm like, sure, but you can't see the pressure. So like, does this exist? Um, which was hilarious because on the debate yesterday, Trump said he knew more about wind than, than Joe Biden. And I was like, no one knows wind. No, no one understands <laughs> wind. Go fuck yourself. It's still a giant mystery, even to the wind scientists. That's why we have wind scientists, because there's still mysteries about it. <laughs> Were you were you nervous to live with Kelsey and her sister at the same time? Like I would have been a little nervous of like going into an already shared space. Not terribly because like I'd spent enough time here just hanging out that I I knew kind of their their rhythms, their deal. The stuff to negotiate was like the physical objects that I was bringing into the house cuz like they had a whole household set up. They mm-hmm. didn't they didn't necessarily need my crockpot. <laughs> there wasn't even a real crockpot. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Well, that's such a very like ubiquitous ubiquitous term. Like everyone knows a crock pot, right, you know. Yeah. A better example is like my coffee mugs, where I, you know, I've a dozen, two dozen that I've always had as as an adult, and they had enough coffee mugs. They didn't need all of mine crammed on top of there, so we had to you know negotiate that balance. Um, and that's an that's an ongoing process. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, because people have their favorite coffee mugs. You know, I've got my favorite one, and I'm assuming you and Kelsey and her sister do as well. Yeah, we all have several favorites. And the question is, which ones are your favorites that other people are also willing to drink out of? Mm-hmm. And also, like, 
do you have favorites that you don't want people drinking out of? I had one that I was like, no, y'all, that's mine. Like, I, I, I would get, like, pissed if I saw, like, one of my roommates with it. And I was like, that is my coffee mug. That is my mug. But I have, I'm also I, weird. I have one that um, – I have several kind of like that. But one in particular that was a graduation gift from college from my college girlfriend's mother who's a potter. Um, oh, she, cool. And she made it specifically for me for my college graduation. And it's the kind of thing where I'm like, I never want this to break. I no longer want this to go in the dishwasher. It now doesn't mm-hmm. live in the kitchen. It holds another function in the world because it's just, it's too precious to me. I should get over that probably. No, I think it's fair. I think it's fair for people to have like certain things that mean a lot to them. As mm-hmm. long as like not everything means a lot. But like, yeah, this one thing you have an attachment to. Yeah, totally. Of course. That's what capitalism wants. Right. Um, I have a, a good little anecdote on that, which is the other day I – spent some time uh, basically in the backyard of my, my brother who lives in town. And he and his girlfriend said, oh, by the way, you're getting some wine glasses. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. So my brother's partner's grandfather, who is 100 years old. Mm-hmm. I've met him once. He lives in town. And he is moving apartment. And part of his moving process is getting rid of some possessions. And he turned to my brother and, and his partner and said, I have these wine glasses. They're for Neil and Kelsey. <laughs> they're like, I'm they're sorry. like, okay. <laughs> you, have, you have several grandchildren that these could, could go to. Great grandchildren who might like these um, d- wonderful possessions. And he said, no, no, they're for Neil and Kelsey. Get them to them. And, oh my god! And we thought, okay, we'll just take these. And he, unlike coffee mugs, we don't actually have that many wine glasses. Um, so now we have these. <laughs> wine glasses that a hundred year old man gave us because he felt like moving house in the middle of a pandemic. And do you have a better story for how you got your wine glasses? I doubt it. Nope. <laughs> I got mine from Pier One. They were on sale. Oh, that's Pier all one. I got. Yeah. No, I'm, I've usually been an Ikea wine glass guy myself. Uh, you know, the only reason I would do Pier One is because it was closer to my house when I was 18. I would there. go there. Ikea was like too far away, but I fucking love Ikea. Yeah. Fuck yeah. The South Philly Pier 1 is right next to the South Philly Ikea. So they're, they're oh. if you're going to one, you're going to the other. You're going to both. Yeah. You're going to yeah. both. Why not? So a thing that like I've liked asking couples during COVID too has mm-hmm. been like, how did you guys like get sick of each other? Like I turned to Aaron when, one day. I was like, thank God we didn't get like sick of each other. Like, yeah, we haven't really. And some of it I think is that like we're working all day and not you know, right on top of each other work-wise. Mm-hmm. And then some of it is that through our kind of individual nature and like the the world we've developed for ourselves as a couple is we've always built enough time for each of us to do things that are solo or solo with our own friends. Mm-hmm. Um, Kelsey makes art and that's sometimes sometimes something that she does totally alone. Other times it's something I'll, we'll do while, she's watch, while we're both watching TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a weekly happy hour with my college friends that she has little interest in because. <laughs> yeah, she's like, you're in college with them. Um, and so that's, you know, a dedicated hour a week that I have where I'm like, cool, I'm I'm doing my own thing. So we're just we're just not on top of each other uh, that much. And and that reflects what life was like a year ago for us is that we planned our lives socially, you know, individually and, and together um, kind of at, at different paces. So it's it's worked out really nicely in that regard. <laughs> Nice. Um, and I and and not for nothing. I think we're doing a decent job of cultivating time that's just the two of us, as well. So like, oh, you know, it's 
today's Friday, apparently. Um, so tonight we're watching, <laughs> right? Tonight is Great British Bake Off night for us. Right? Okay. Tomorrow we'll go on a hike. And it's not that we have something every day. Between just everyday stuff and things that are weekly, like a like a hike or a, a walk, you know, it's it adds up to a, a decently full life where we don't we don't feel like we're just next to each other constantly. Yeah, and that's a I think that's a really good point of like carving out time for like each other or each other and yourselves because mm-hmm. like that's why like Aaron just started going back to work. We had to go back into the office and mm. the first two weeks I was like it, I felt like a dog with like an attachment issue where I was just like waiting for him to come back home and I was like, "Oh right, you need to like relearn your habits of like what you did solo." Cuz yeah, we're in an apartment, like we have a two bedroom, but our modem i'm just like staring at it right now a modem is in the living room so like he had to have the living room to work because mm-hmm. he had to be on zoom he had to be on google hangouts and our apartment's very long so like the internet doesn't work as well in the bedroom so it, it's like he had to be here if i was going to be in the living room with him like we're like on top of each other while he's like working and stuff so it's like it is a much different layout than what you guys had but just like seeing what each individual couple is doing and how it kind of, like, no matter what the scenario, it kind of comes back to the same thing of, like, what are you doing separately and, like, what are you actively doing together? Like, and I do feel like nature has been a big part of, like, being together. Like, it's been a godsend to be, for we look close to Pro- Prospect Park, so it's been a godsend to be able to go into Prospect Park. Yeah. 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 Um, I was reading something probably literally just, like, a tweet or two long uh, a couple of weeks ago about how we've all kind of forgotten how important green, public green spaces to people Mm -hmm. regardless of the size and it turns out if i'm on whether i'm in a park that's the size of a city block or something eight blocks or like a state forest i appreciate it for what it is and the fact that it is larger than the house that i live in and (laughs) and the you know quote unquote yard that we have and i think that might be something that changes uh in the future as we realize oh it's great to have these public spaces that are for everybody um, and have some natural elements in them. Yeah, and that's a really good point, too, because I, like, New York City definitely needs more green spaces. It needs more bike lanes. It needs less cars on the streets. And I was, like, I have a, a, a very big group of, like, biker friends. I'm very afraid of being on a bike in the city because just, like, especially this year, like, people have been getting hit and killed left and right. Yeah. And so my friends would be like, we, they wanted to be like Amsterdam. And I was, I would be like, I just, how, how can that happen? How can that work? And then immediately when New York city, like, I don't know how much you know about it. Like de Blasio and Cuomo have been shitholes about like helping restaurants and, and basically we've closed down streets. So restaurants can have like the space. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, oh, literally all you do is take away the streets and the cars go away. And it was like, I like truly was like, I had no fucking clue. It was like that easy of just like, take this away, make it a space for people. And it's magical. Like there's every weekend, like there's this huge avenue where like just people come out and like all the restaurants are out and people have picnics on the street and it's like beautiful. And I will be so sad to watch it go away if it does. Just to go on for your point of like how important these like outdoor spaces have are. And we just like lost that and didn't realize that. Yeah. The, um, the town that I lived in, in the Netherlands had had streets in the city center but during let's say business hours during the week and the weekend they were closed to cars so like they were physically blocked off from cars except for you know certain kinds of delivery vans for certain places and it meant that you had even if it was a half square mile by a half square mile a pedestrian only zone and so you could you could walk 
you know, a couple blocks and run your errands and just walk in the middle of the street and not be worried about it. And it just totally changes what it what it means to be like a member of a community that's geographically mm-hmm. co-located and and sharing things like drugstores and, you know, gyms and so on. Yeah, I'm really I'm really uh, quite hopeful for that. But um, I'm also realistic because <laughs> I've seen our governments. At yeah, work. like, let's see, you know, fingers crossed 11 days. Um, although I think hold on. OK, so this episode will come out after the election. Uh, it'll come out November 4th. <laughs> oh, God. So I don't know. We'll Listeners, see. this was recorded before. I don't know what the fuck happened. Yeah. Oh, God. Who knows? I, I'm so afraid. I think it's either going to be a landslide for Biden or it's going to be really, really close and people are going to call foul play. Yeah, and I'm just hoping for a landslide. Same. Same. When you were in the Netherlands, did you vote abroad? Like, did you? I could vote in U.S. elections, but not Dutch elections. Um, yeah, I, I, I was abroad for the 2012 presidential election okay cool yeah. cool cool cool. 2012 um yeah okay I, they all like blend so i was like where was i that was obama and uh what's his face Romney. who still sucks yeah and everyone's like he's yeah. great now and it's like no he's not he still sucks <laughs> yeah. you're wrong do you want my my um 2012 presidential election abroad story yeah about totally so about uh, about three days before the election um, I started traveling with a an old family friend just kind of all over the place. And we went from Amsterdam to Belgium to Paris and back again, kind of. And we got off the train in Paris coming out of Belgium. And we we, we weren't even out of the station. Like we were still on the platform. <laughs> and the French police stopped us. Um, and this was a thing that at this point I was used to because I'm a brown person uh in paris sometimes and uh that is confusing to them (laughs) and add to it like you know my friend looked a little out of place he was clearly not french and they said you know can see your passports please and um, i speak just enough french that i can do some things with native french speakers so we hand over our passports and we know that like we're we're at this point squeaky clean um theoretically Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're looking it over and asking us about our travels and and so forth and then they, with with our passports still in their hands, one of them looks at us and says, hmm, Obama or Romney? Oh, my God. And you're and, like, this answer could affect whether or not I get my fucking passport back. Right. And so my friend and I just look at each other real quick, look back. And we're like, oh, Obama, all the way. Are you kidding me? Like, don't even. And he was like, okay, cool. Here's your passports back. The, I've, I've had some bonkers border crossings, but that is by far the strangest thing I've had to deal with is oh who are you who are you voting for in the US presidential election because the, the entire world is counting on you right now buddy. Oh my god. But also it breaks my heart that when you were like I'm used to this I'm I'm a brown oh, person yeah. in like a different country and it's just like ah. Yeah. That's not how it should be but oh my god. Wow. Where have you had any like issues at like like American uh, uh, airports, have there been shit there? It's kind of hard to know. Like when when I'm randomly selected for screening, is it mm. because I bought something off of Orbitz instead of Travelocity this time? I don't know. Um, yeah, really, really hard to judge. Um, coming back into the country when I was living overseas, I always had to answer a lot of questions. But I think that was more I was an American living overseas than than what I look like and identify as. That said, I, I have always described it as 
it was it's always been harder for me to get into the US than into any other country. Like wow. when I show my American passport in the US, they're like, hmm, suspect, why did you leave the why did you leave the country? <laughs> like, is Applebee's not good enough for you? You gotta go to like French McDonald's. Um, wow. Yeah. And I, I assume that's true for a lot of people, not just not just me. How many times have you been selected for a random screening? Oh, who counts these things? See, that's the thing though, is like I've never been selected for a random screening you know yeah in there was a about a year and a half uh, after september 11th but before like 2005 6 where uh i was often traveling on like very cheap tickets or strange kind of itineraries so it'd be like like when i had a one way from boston to baltimore you know over over thanksgiving it's like ah all right yeah i i'm sure that that ticked off a couple boxes for Mm -hmm. folks um but other than that, I've never, knock on wood, I've never had like a really hard time, you know, a random screening of like what's in my bag. Okay, whatever. I'll like, I do that to go to the the beer garden here now, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're really concerned I'm bringing in too many snacks. Oh my God. That's a, that's a true story from the other day. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Does Philly have a weird, so like New York, Cuomo has made all bars they have to sell food. You mm-hmm. have to buy food. Are they yep. doing that in Philly too? Yeah, there's a lot of hard-boiled eggs for sale now. Mm. Yeah, we have a lot of like cheese sandwiches, uh, which you keep in the bag and you just don't eat it, and you like give it back to them so they can like reuse it. Sell it. That's that's clever. Yeah, it it reminds you of like how inside out I guess some of these regulations are. Like, oh, you've regulated that you have to sell food along with the drink, but you haven't gone as far as regulating the food. And that's why a 50 cent bag of potato chips counts as a meal now. Like, it seems like we did things the wrong way around. Um, Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. also, maybe you're also very aware of what you're doing. And you just want people to be able to buy drinks and making it a tiny bit harder makes it better. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. It's you want to assume that it's for the best, but you're just like, this feels like it's not. And you're just making it harder. Because, like, again, I don't know about Philly, but I'm watching bars venues stores drop like flies uh like vanderbilt avenue uh which was like avenue i was talking about earlier like i think there's like it's in a three block radius there's already like seven to ten stores that are gone like bars that are gone bakeries that couldn't make it um so it gets very disheartening when you're like oh cool you just haven't done your job as your the governor or mayor also listeners sorry that this became so about uh how much I hate de Blasio and Cuomo and not about sex at all. I'm very sorry. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> let me, let me get it back to sex for the listeners. Cause yeah. I just realized how much I talked about that. Um, so we actually, we've been talking for about an hour and usually around this time I tell my um, guests that, uh, so basically is there something that you were like, I wanted to talk about this. I'm ready. Oc sex, oc dating, oc relationships. I, th- I think the thing that, I've thought about before listening to your your other podcasts and always played within my mind of like, what would I talk about if I was on this show? We covered earlier in like how strange it is that we haven't well defined what is what is a date and how to talk about going on dates. It seems like an ongoing concern that we should all be better at, kind of like defining what a meal is uh, at an outdoor uh, restaurant. <laughs> uh, take notes, Cuomo. And some of it reflects like technology and social changes along with it in the past you know, 15, 20 years. But I think also it's just cultural changes probably since like the 50s or so when there were very prescribed ways of making a date and having it be clearly a date. 
Um, I don't know. I wasn't around then. <laughs> but when I was single, like that definitely plagued my life was that I was constantly confused over, is this a date? How do I make it clear that I'm interested? Um, have I have I missed out on something? Um, and yeah, I think I think we can all do better about that. And I'll, I'll also give this kind of nice plug for my wife. She worked for a couple years, the first years of our relationship for a um, an organization that her role was specifically talking about healthy relationships with youth. Like she went into classrooms and had them do like workshops about boundaries and communication skills. And since I found out about that job through her, I was like, like you were saying, like, why didn't we all get this? Like, I can tell you so many things that I learned in quote unquote health class in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, but did it set me up for living in modern life? No. <laughs> like, um, no, not at you all. You know, I, I can tell you all sorts of things about like designer drugs and um, designer drugs always comes to mind because I did a report on it once. Just like bizarre stuff where you're like, this isn't relevant. We don't need a whole unit, but we do need to talk about how to how, what is a healthy relationship? Uh, yeah. Because particularly if, if you're fifth, sixth grade, you're starting to figure that out and you're getting a lot of messaging about it uh, and having some kind of structure around that would be phenomenal. And most parents aren't equipped to do it because they're busy with 8 million other things about you as a, as a And kid. also like now, that's a really good point. And it's also just because I was babysitting nannying boys that age, like in those age groups. And the more that I think about it, I didn't really know what a relationship was when I was that age either that I don't know as an adult if I could define that for them in their world. Like mm -hmm. I know what it looks like now for my age at 32, but when you're 11, 12, 13, like I don't know how to define that for you. And then it's like, that's where all this like confusion comes because there aren't these like, like you said, like these like clear cut definitions of what this looks like. Mm -hmm. And I guess when I say that too, I mean just like what the communication of it looks like, because obviously relationships can look like anything, totally different things, uh, yeah. which is which is great. But you're right; like people go back, people use like the 1950s of like it was X, Y, and Z, and so sure, obviously things have changed because relationships have changed. But there would be such a beautiful moment of clarity for everyone if there was a class that like Kelsey teaches for these grades. Yeah. That'd yeah. be so cool. And and I think it's interesting to compare it to, let's say, this is a fairly arbitrary comparison, something like dietary preferences, where you know what it means when your friend says, um, I'm vegan, or mm -hmm. I don't eat shellfish. <laughs> Those are pretty clear, clear cut mm -hmm. for what they're living in their life. And yet something like, do you want to grab a drink, has so many different layers to it. Mm -hmm. and, and should it? I don't know. Yeah. And then even to go further, like, to not know how the other person is feeling in this first date. Like I had a lot of people go in for kisses and I was like, oh, I was not expecting that. Yeah. Um, which is obviously fine. Like there was miscommunication. And then now being in COVID and seeing how important it is to be able to communicate like uh, energetically, actively, correctly within work, within friends, within relationships it's been very interesting to see what comes to the other and what has fallen apart in my life specifically and i have friends that are going through very similar things uh with all of those as well and it's very interesting how this one like very like like one of the most important things in a human for human relationships no one has 
clear cut training in. Like, it's like, yeah. how did this happen when we need this so badly for what we all do and interact with each other? Yeah, I, I feel like early on in the the COVID world, people were saying, certain people were saying, a lot of us are going to learn real quickly from um, our friends in like the kink and poly communities about consent and like just communication in general. And like, what are you comfortable with and how are you, how are you living your life? And like, how, what do I need to know about your activities? Um, and a, a, a friend of mine uh, was describing his family's patterns to me the other day where he's like, I have a new thing. I call it risk profiles. And if he's making plans to say, meet another couple in the park, he'll tell them here's, here's what my family is doing. We never have more than the three of us inside our home. Um, if we are outside, we are wearing masks. We go to the grocery store once a week and we always wash our hands, you know, seven times a day or whatever. And it, it, he just was able to lay it out very analytically and, um, quantitatively. And I just, I picture it like a, like a, um, Dungeons and Dragons, like character sheet <laughs> kind of thing. I don't know if that yeah. works for you and other listeners. No, I wore, I'm doing D and D for the first time. I totally understand oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it makes sense that many people can start to pin that down for themselves and say, here's, here's what works for me. Here's what I want to shift on myself. Here's what I want to like know about in others. Um, and I think that's, I think it's a great place for a lot of us to be on, on a lot of topics uh, and what we're comfortable with. Um, not just uh, public health. We're all learning so much so quickly this year. <laughs> yeah, you're right though. And like, I've been, I've been telling people that I treat it like an STD. So like I get tested like probably once every two weeks. I tell mm -hmm. all my friends that are like in our, our hub, our pod, uh, we all tell each other like when we get our tests, if it's negative or not, we kind of stay in the same group. We don't go out, venture out with other friends really. Yeah. You're wearing your mask, you're wearing your protection. And yeah, you're being open about like what you've been doing. Uh, with other people like you would with like your sexual history mm -hmm. um and masks are like condoms now you just you put it on uh it helps minimize the risk it's not foolproof no con like uh birth control sex aid like that is foolproof um and you see how you start to see like who's comfortable with talking about that stuff and who's not and like why like what does that mean um, and you said something else that I wanted to touch on that was like a really good point. And of course, I forgot. Um, never mind. Never mind. Doesn't sure. matter. I forgot. Um, another comparison I've been thinking of for the masks, and, and we'll see how this plays out kind of long term for us, is like shoes. Like people, humans didn't wear shoes for a long time. Uh, or, or, you know, not at the way that we do today. And now if you saw a barefoot person in your grocery store, you'd have concerns about their behavior and what it meant for you and your cleanliness and um maybe masks are going to become like shoes where it's just yep we've we've all had to change our apparel and, and behavior when we're out in public and that's that's something I, I play around with a lot and i think i actually stole that from an infographic about like how things change because people will say like oh this is the way it's always been and it's like well people didn't well, always wear underwear people didn't always wear shoes people didn't you know um and now i barely wear shoes so it, <laughs> right fair i don't wear shoes things, in the house things change quickly my mom wears high heels in the house and it drives me crazy. It's like, why? Who cares? No, thank you. But um, I what I would love to see too, and I don't know if this is possible for America, but I would love to see America as a whole um, kind of get off their high horse and look around at other cultures and see like, oh, 
we should learn from other cultures. Like as like a like as a uh, grocery clerk for like mm-hmm. three years in New York City, I can say that like for those three years, a lot of Asian customers came in in masks, and a lot of employees would be like, "Why they don't need that?" In retrospect, it's like actually it looks like they knew what the fuck they were doing. Yeah, because uh. They're doing actually much better with COVID than we are. And why are we so quick to be like, Ugh, that's dumb. They don't need to do that. Like, why do we have to have the final say? Yeah. And rather we could like actually learn from other countries and other cultures rather than taking their culture away and then reselling it and rebranding it as our own. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like in New York, everyone's like, yeah, when we're sick now after this we're going to wear a mask. Like, when we know that we're sick, we're wearing a fucking mask. If that truly could stop, like, the flu as much and colds and whatever new pandemic we might have to deal with later, like, why would we not do that? Yeah, it's like, imagine you're on the subway and somebody sneezes. Now mm-hmm. imagine somebody on the subway sneezes and they're wearing a mask. Which do you prefer? That's it, right? That's, yeah, that's it. <sighs> it's so crazy. Yeah. It gets me, like, riled up. It's like, why... Why are we so elitist? Why are we so um, dumb, but yeah. we think we're smart? It's it's the I don't know. American exceptionalism is the phrase that I've seen, and it's like yeah, we're mm. we're different, and partly it's you know we see ourselves see ourselves as better, um, but really it's like oh we're we're our own thing, and so we can't possibly be compared to these other groups. Uh, which yeah, there's something to it. That's for sure. Like, I don't know about you, but anytime I've traveled like overseas or to a different country and I like I'm very bad with languages. I'm trying to learn Spanish. It's not going well. I can't roll my R's. Mm. But the fact that like everyone else knows English, like they know their language and knows English and probably another language. It's like, why does everyone know English? Why is that? Why isn't it we're not learning other languages? Like, we should all be learning Spanish. We should all be learning all these different languages. Like, why why American exceptionalism? Why are we first? And it feels – I always feel so weird and small. I get very small in different countries of, like, I don't want you to think that I think I'm better than myself than you guys because I'm American. Like, actually, I think you guys are probably way smarter than us. Like, but it comes back to, like, what you said with, like, this, like, this idea of exceptionalism when where did – uh, that's not earned in any way, shape, or form. No, no. Yeah, in in other countries, it's like I'll learn five phrases rather than zero, and j- just so I can put in some effort and feel like I'm doing literally the bare minimum beyond hand gestures. And, mm-hmm. and usually, it's like those are the five that will get you pretty far uh, before you run into trouble and have to ask if they speak English or if there is, you know, some other way to to deal with the situation. Um, yeah. So yeah, I. You know, for a long time, I was like, oh, I um, I speak English, you know, like high school French, uh, you know, enough Dutch to to get by. And then like restaurant German is always how I would describe it <laughs> because I knew enough like how to order, ask for the bill, pay and deal with some numbers. And that was my biggest need when when speaking German usually. <laughs> um, but it felt a whole hell of a lot better than walking into someplace wherever I was and saying like, all right, who here speaks English? I'm an American. I need somebody to speak English to me about a sandwich. (laughs) I can, I can figure out the menu. I can, I can make it work. Oh, I'm so jealous. I'm trying so hard. We we went to Argentina last year. And Mm. at one point I even said like, uh, I said like I asked for like, where the bathroom is, but I said like banyo instead of like banyo, uh, and I was yeah. just like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like it sounds like I'm like not even trying. Well, I think this has been a really good episode, and I know it's you're lovely. doing this in between your job, so I don't want to keep you too long. Um, so many, so many zooms. Cool. 
This was really yeah. fun. Thanks for inviting Yay! me. Yay! Yeah. I'm so glad. I'd love to have you back, Avi. And then one day, whenever we're performing again, even though comedians are starting to do inside shows, uh, and I'm like, no, what the no, fuck? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. No, thank you. But Punchline Philly seems to be doing outdoor shows. That seems pretty cool. Punchline set up for outdoor shows and, and has been for like, has been for a while. And by that, I mean when they constructed themselves. I feel like they set themselves up nicely for that. I'm seeing some like parking lot shows as well, like in the suburbs yeah. more often. I have no particular plans to return to in-person comedy or storytelling anytime soon. And and part of what I love, maybe, maybe I'll end this here, is I love that it's opening the door to very long distance collaborations and things. So I'm seeing storytellers, you know, dial in from wherever and you, you can have a show and it's just like as if all performers were in Philly because everybody's still just at their laptop with a camera. Uh, And so I'm really excited for a lot of those possibilities that are coming out. Yeah, you're right. It has opened up a lot of doors in a lot of cool ways. Yay. Cool. All right. Guys, uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for sticking around. Thank you for always being here. I love uh, my listeners and my fans. Uh, Remember to rate, like, subscribe, review, share. Share with all your friends. Um, You can follow me at AwkwardSexandCity on all the social medias or email me at AwkwardSexandCity at gmail.com. And you can follow Neil at Nilegram, spelled K-N-I-L-E-G-R-A-M. Um, to see all his uh, breakfast sandwiches and his life uh, and enjoy the week. Uh, it's disgustingly warm in the city because uh, of uh, hashtag global warming. Um, but it's a breath of fresh air for a hot second. And let's, uh, you know, then get back to work. Let's do our shit. There's a lot to do. And we will be talking about that on the podcast to come. Don't you worry your little heads your little hearts. I will continue. And again, thank you for joining the ride and sticking around as this podcast has evolved and changed and pivoted as we've gone uh, through COVID. And yeah, here we go. You know, winter is just around the corner. So let's see. Um, Stay safe. Maybe don't travel home for the holidays. We're not going home for Thanksgiving. Okay. I love you guys. Bye.